Well, bless the Lord's. So good to have again all of you with us and especially all of our dads. We want to welcome you again and pray that you would just leave here today encouraged. And in that, I would like to share with you today a very simple message that I've just simply entitled, The Encouraging Father. The Encouraging Father. Uh, You may remember on Mother's Day, I spoke of the life-giving mom. And today, I want to talk about the encouraging father. Uh, Many of you know, all of you know, if you have been listening to the news, that this has been a very hard, a very difficult, a very dark week for the United States of America and uh, the city of Orlando um, in in, uh, being specific. Uh, It's hard to believe that it was just a week ago today that we woke up to the news that 49 men and women had been senselessly gunned down by, uh, or at a Orlando nightclub by a single shooter pledging his allegiance to ISIS, um, with another 53 that were injured. At least those were the numbers that I'd heard before I came up here today. You know, on the one hand, it, it united our country together briefly as we grieved and we prayed for those families and those friends that were deeply affected by this event. And yet, on the other hand, it has divided us in many ways. You know, I've, I've now come to a place where I recognize that once an event in this country falls into the hands of the media and the politicians, you can almost guarantee that it's going to become a divisive issue. We just can't leave it alone anymore. Once it falls into the hands of the politicians and the media, all of a sudden the event became about gun control and hate rather than what it really was, a terroristic attack that was propagated by a religion that is deviant to its very core. Now, I know that that is not politically correct. And I understand that there are many, many, many peace-loving Muslims. And no one is arguing that. But the religion of Islam at its very core is a terroristic message. It just is. Muhammad was a terrorist himself. And we understand that. But we don't want to talk about it. Sadly... We have become so focused as a country on peripheral issues that we have lost complete focus on what is happening to this country and how fast it is happening. We get so caught up in the forest or in the trees that we can't see the forest any longer. That is what's happening today. We focus on non-essential issues and lose sight of what is truly essential. You know, I don't know that I've ever said this. Many of you know it to be true. And that is that the United States of America is an experiment. It really is an experiment. When our founding fathers arrived here in the West, they came to find a people upon Judeo-Christian principles and values. And you can find that all over the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. As I have mentioned in the past, you cannot look at those three American documents and not help but see that this nation was founded upon Judeo-Christian values and principles. And our founding fathers actually state the future of this country upon our ability to uphold the Ten Commandments and continually be one nation under God. Their belief was that as long as, in general, because it will never be the majority, and we need to understand that, but as long as, in general, we would be a nation abiding under the authority of God and putting His commandments ahead of all man-made commandments, that God would honor His word and exalt the nation. But they were convinced that if the nation drifted from God, that God would withdraw His protection upon us. And we have seen that in our lifetime. The further that we as a nation have drifted away from the principles of God, the commandments of God, we have seen God withdraw His hand and give us over to our own wickedness and our own evil. 
Now, I don't want anyone to leave here this morning misconstruing anything that I'm going to say. I don't want anyone drawing a conclusion that I am not making at all. In no way am I saying that any particular people group got what they deserve. I am not saying that this or any other group has brought this on themselves. This is a tragedy and God's heart was breaking last Sunday with all of ours. But what I am saying is that collectively, as a nation, we have rejected God, we have turned from His commandments, and now God has given us over to the horrific deadly, violent consequences of our rejection. One of the greatest of these consequences being the withdrawal of his protection. Now some people don't like that, but the simple reality is God has built right into the laws that he has given that you cannot break the laws of God without God's laws breaking you. God doesn't even have to touch you. God built right into his laws that if you obey them, these blessings will overtake you. But if you disobey these curses, or maybe a better word there would be these consequences, will overtake you. God doesn't touch us. And I may not be, you know, representing every pastor this morning. But there are many Christians that will look at what happened in Orlando and they'll look at what happened in San Bernardino and they'll look at what happened on 9-11 and they will say, this was God's judgment. I couldn't disagree more. I don't believe that God judges us like that. He's got all of eternity to judge us. In fact, if we would read our Bible, there is even a special judgment for the nations of the earth at the end of time. We know that. What these things are, are the result of men and women rejecting God and God just giving us over to the consequences of our own actions. And we have to recognize that we are no longer a nation that is being protected by God because we are no longer a nation that wants to be submitted to God Almighty. It is, in many ways, blasphemous for politicians to say, God bless America, when they vote for and pass laws that are absolutely against God. It's blasphemous to ask God to protect a nation that has abandoned God. It is tragic. Now we've just spent the last few weeks, you know, talking about the recovery of this nation and the fact that this nation will recover, you know, right here. It starts in the house of the Lord. That it starts with the people of God praying, humbling themselves, and seeking the face of God and turning from their wicked ways. And God has promised that I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And we're thankful for that. But there are many tools with which God uses to bring that recovery. And I want to tell you today that one of the most vital ways that God begins a recovery of the nation is by elevating the role of of the Father. Thank you for that amen. I'm going to tell you, if this nation is going to recover, we're going to need dads to step it up and be godly fathers again, in Jesus' name. We just are. You know, it's very interesting um, that for many, many years here in this country and around the world, basically, the conventional wisdom was girls need their mamas and boys need their dads. That was just the conventional wisdom. And that is really how we approached the family. Dads gravitated more to their sons, and moms gravitated more to their girls. But study after study, and I know that you're aware of this, now reveals the irreplaceable role of the father in the lives, not only of their sons, but even of their daughters. When dads are more involved with their children... Their children tend to do better in school, develop more trusting relationships, and overall are healthy physically and emotionally. Moms, you are much better setting boundaries for the children than dad. But what is interesting is that research shows that dads are actually better enforcing the boundaries and the consequences and not feel guilty in doing so. 
So it may be true, mom, that you are better at setting boundaries for your children. You're not that good in executing justice when those boundaries are crossed. You tend to feel guilty when you have to do it, and that's why your kids always run to mom, because mom has a tendency to just back away. Dads don't have that problem. We may struggle out of the gate setting the boundaries, but when the boundaries have been set, we are much better at executing justice, if you will, when those boundaries have been violated. We don't feel guilty about it because we recognize that that is reasonable. Now, I'm going to just say a word about setting boundaries for your children. This is imperative. And so I'm speaking to both mom and dad right now. One researcher I was studying over this week And I want you to just understand, this was a secular article that I was reading. And I purposely chose a secular article because I wanted you to see that even the world gets this. And sometimes we as the church are bucking what even the world gets, okay? One researcher said, teaching the child to treat boundaries seriously teaches the child to respect the rights and needs of others. Thinking of another's needs creates empathy. So mom and dad, what we know, and this is biblical, even though it came from a secular journal, is that if you set boundaries for your children and you enforce those boundaries by disciplining your children when they break free from those boundaries, you are teaching your child to actually respect the rights and the needs of others, other men and women, and you're teaching them empathy. Or you're teaching them the ability to put the feelings and the concerns of others ahead of their own. But mom and dad, you listen to me. If you don't set boundaries on your children and you just let them do whatever they want to do, you're going to raise a child, or if you set boundaries and you don't discipline them when they violate those boundaries, you are teaching your child not to respect the rights and the needs of others, and you're going to have a child that could care less about what anybody else feels. It's all about them. They need this when they're young. Dad, I want to tell you something interesting. At least I found this interesting as I was reading it the other day. It turns out that the roughhousing play that dads are all famous for are actually instrumental in a child's development. The dad that really gets down on the ground and wrestles with his sons and his daughters is actually helping that child develop emotionally and mentally. Now, you may not think that that's true, but listen to what one researcher said again. Dad uses a different style of play, one that actually encourages risk-taking and competition, pushing the child's boundaries of physical and mental skills, leading the child to win more and lose more and therefore laugh and cry more. And through the play, he is teaching the child to improve her or his skills and focus and to deal with losing without cheating or becoming vindictive or violent. When we get down on our knees, dads, and we roughhouse with our sons and our daughters and we mix it up with them and have some fun with them, it is actually benefiting them. And I'm not talking about, you know, being rough with your kids, but there is something about that that instills in them attributes that they desperately need. They need empathy. They need to consider others before they consider themselves. They need some frustration in their lives. Mom and dad, you try to remove all of the frustration that they experience from their lives, and then you wonder why they turn out to be babies and brats. See, my kids are older now. I can say this, okay? You wonder why they're brats because you remove, they need a little bit of frustration in their life. They need a little bit of aggravation because they need to know how to deal with that in a constructive manner. They need tolerance. They need focus. They need respect of boundaries in their lives because our children today live in an instant gratification world. 
Everything is handed to them on a silver platter. They spend hours and hours sitting at screens of iPads and iPhones and television sets. They have no human interaction and very little physical activity. And then we wonder, again, why they are so disconnected in their relationships. And what we are learning is that when dads are involved... Dads, we not only can change our children, but by changing our children, we can actually begin to change the world for the glory of God. Dads, we need you in this hour. We need you to rise up and be men of God in this day. The good news is, is that long before billions and billions of dollars were spent on research, the Bible already told us these things. The Bible has so much to say about the role of the father in the life of their child. And this morning, I want to share just one of those many verses with you. It comes to us from Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 21, where we read this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I'm going to tell you, such a small verse... But boy, does it pack a powerful punch. Just 10 words. And it's a preacher's dream. It really is. Because this one verse breaks down naturally into three parts. First, there's an address. Fathers. That is followed by a command. Do not provoke your children. And then it is followed by a purpose or the reason for the command, lest they become discouraged. And what I want to do very quickly is run through them with you and dads prayerfully give you something to chew on throughout this day to really consider before the Lord. But before I do that, I want to just provide an overarching context for everything that I'm going to say today. Because the reality is it is impossible for me to share everything that the Lord has put on my heart this morning without first mentioning this context and that is that only God is the perfect father. Can I hear a good amen out of that? Only God is the perfect father. And everything that we're about to say over the next few moments has got to be viewed within that context that only God is the perfect father. I love Romans 8, verses 14 through 16, which says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cried out, Abba, Father, or Father, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can you imagine? We have the privilege of being called the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the children of God. Does that excite anybody else? We were enemies of the cross, but we have been grafted in through Jesus Christ, and today we are His sons and His daughters, and God is a good, good Father to His children in Jesus' name. Now, not everyone can claim God as their father, but God is a father to those who have been born by his spirit, who have truly loved him and are led by his Holy Spirit. He is a good father, and there are two reasons that I feel compelled to say this before we go in to this scripture. First of all, to say that all fatherhood must be shaped after the fatherhood of God. And the reason I say that is because, Dad, you and I do not have the luxury of choosing how we are going to raise our children. We have to raise our children as God would raise them. In other words, our fatherhood needs to be shaped by the fatherhood of Almighty God. In other words, every child should see in their father a reflection, though imperfect, I will admit, of the fatherhood of God. They need to see in how we interact with our children His mercy and His justice, His tenderness and His strength, His wisdom and yet His patience, His exaltation and His condescension. In other words, Dad, I want you to hear this, and it's so important that you get this, that when our children interact with us, they need to see us as being just dads but being merciful. 
They need to see that though we are strong, we also know how to be tender. That though we have wisdom that they do not have, yet we are still patient with them, knowing they're still growing up. And though we do deserve their respect, at the same time we condescend to their mom and to them to put their needs ahead of our own needs. And that is what I mean by being a reflection of the fatherhood of God. Now the second reason I say this to you is because I want this message to be relevant to everyone. Whether you have a father or not, whether you were a Christian father raising your children or not. You know, mom, Mother's Day and Father's Day have become very difficult through the years because you realize that not everyone had a good mom or a good dad. Um, and you also recognize that there are many who may have had a good mom, a good dad, but their mom or their dad is gone. And it's true here even on Father's Day. There are many of you that had a wonderful relationship with your dad growing up, but there are others of you that did not. There are some of you that still have your father with you. There are others of you that do not. There are some of you that are estranged from your father. But no matter where you find yourself today, I want you to know that God is still the God of the fatherless. And He is a greater father than any father that this world could produce. Can you say amen to that? He is your father. So you can celebrate Father's Day by celebrating the father of all fathers in Jesus' name. But also there may be some dads here today that cringe every time Father's Day comes around because they recognize that they blew it, that they made some mistakes, that they made many mistakes when they were raising their children. But you have a heavenly father who also can forgive you of your failures and not only forgive you of your failures, but now give you an opportunity to use the time that you have left to be a blessing. There is never a, a bad time. Just start now. It's never too late to be a good father now. You can call up your kids today and say, forgive me, I blew it, I made mistakes, but please let me back into your life. You can start over again in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So with that, I want to break this verse down. And I want to start first with the address. It is to fathers. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this because it goes without saying. What we're going to talk about today is directed to fathers. And I only want to point out here that there are very specific roles within the family that only a father can fill. There are certain needs within the family that only a father can provide for. And there are a lot of men today that abdicate their authority. That give certain responsibilities over to their wives or even over to their children. Because they don't want to be bothered with it. And they will say, well, I just don't know how to do that. I'm not skilled enough. Dad, whether you feel skilled enough or not does not relinquish your responsibility. There are some things that have to be done in that family that only you can do. There are some needs within that family, emotional needs, mental needs, physical needs, that only you can provide. And you can't give that responsibility off to someone else. You know, the context of verse 21 is verse 20, which says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, obviously, children obey both mom and dad. But in verse 21, he directs it to the father. And there is a very specific reason for that. And we'll get to that in a moment. But he is telling us here that there is something different about dad. There is something different about his relationship with his children and with his wife. And mom, I don't want you to feel left out because in no way, shape, or form am I saying that God doesn't have a special role for you because he does. But what I am simply saying is that there are certain roles that only a father can accomplish. And that is why God's law is that you have children within the context of a marriage between a husband, a wife, a male, and a female. It, it, you know, it's just sad. We think it's no big deal, but when you remove a male, 
or you remove a female, you interrupt the balance that God has established. And dads, there are certain things that only you can do. So fathers, listen to me. And all of our future fathers, listen to me. He is talking directly to you. And some people will ask, why is God harder on fathers than he is on moms? Why does he expect more from dads and hold us more responsible? And I'll tell you why. At least this is what's in my heart. is because as a father, we represent Father God. Every time we do a baby dedication, I am very quick to point out to the dads that you are going to be the earliest illustration of what God the Father is all about. Because there is going to come a time when your children are going to have to embrace that concept of God, not only being God, but God being a father. And if we have done the right work, if we have raised our children properly, then we have provided a seamless translation, transition because literally they would say, I've already seen Father God in my earthly dad. That's how we're to live. And that's why God holds us responsible. We are to give our children a good representation of God the Father so that they seamlessly enter into that relationship with him. So with the address, next would come the command, but I'm going to skip the command and come back to it. Because I think it's important for us first to look at the purpose for the command. Why he commanded us to not provoke our children. And he says, lest they become discouraged. So he says, fathers, lest your children become discouraged. In other words, we are aiming to raise children who are not discouraged. Now, discouraged is a word that we're all pretty familiar with. But what exactly does it mean to be discouraged? Because there are many interpretations of that word. What is the Bible saying when it says to not discourage your children? The Greek word discouraged here literally means losing heart. Many of you know that the heart is actually the will. So the idea of being discouraged would be losing your will. Losing your your fight. It means lifeless. It means spiritless. It means no enthusiasm. It means just being dead inside. And you know, when I look at a lot of children today, I see a lot of this. I see children that have no will to just press through and and better themselves and, and to just learn how to press through difficulties in life. I see a lot of children that are just dead inside, that really do not know how to develop relationships because, again, so much of their day is spent looking at a device. It's a scourge. Listen, we all enjoy our cell phones, our our smartphones. But many of us, we've lost the ability to look at people in the eyes. And our children, they just, they're the same way. They, they just are disconnected. They're, they're dead inside. They spend hours and hours shooting up fake enemies. And we wonder why they just can't interact and why they can't relate. And what Paul is saying here is don't be a father that raises a child to this. Don't raise your child to lose heart, to be lifeless and spiritless, to have no enthusiasm, to just be dead inside. You want to raise them to be the opposite. What's the opposite of discouragement? Literally, it is to be hopeful. It is to be happy. It is to be confident. It is to be courageous. That is the opposite of discouragement. In other words, we want to raise our children in a way that they will always be hopeful for, for the future. That they're happy throughout life. That they are confident in, in the day that they live in. And that they're courageous no matter what the day may bring them. And if we are not to raise our children to be discouraged, it is built right into it to imply that there is another way to raise our children. A way that will actually give them hope for their future. That will provide happiness throughout life. That will fill them with confidence and give them courage in life no matter what they face. Now, at this point, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. 
In fact, I'm not telling you anything that the world would disagree with. Even people in the world that don't know the Lord would say, well, of course we raise our children to not be discouraged. We don't want to raise our children to discourage them in any way. So what is the difference here as a Christian? The difference is that hope for the Christian has nothing to do with anything or anyone that is in this world, but our hope is in God Almighty. When he says... Do not discourage your children. What he's literally saying is, do not raise them in a way that their hope will not be in God. But raise them in a way that their hope is always in God Almighty. We want to raise our children in a way that their hope is in God Almighty. We want to raise them in a way that their happiness is not in the pursuit of things, but their happiness is pursuing the heart of God, that they delight themselves in God Almighty. We want to raise our children that their confidence is not in government and in military, but their confidence is in Almighty God. We want their, their courage not to come from being tough and rugged, but we want their courage to to come in knowing if God is for me, no one can be against me in Jesus' mighty name. We want to raise them so that their hope is not in popularity. It is not in money or education or a good career or relationships because we know that all of them eventually will discourage us because none of them are perfect. We want their hope to always be in the Lord who never fails us, who never forsakes us. Let me just add this on here. Not discouraging your children, dads, doesn't mean giving them everything they want either. There are a lot of dads that they think the only way to bless their kids in such a way that they're never discouraged, is just to give them everything they want. The fact of the matter is, if you give a child everything they want, and you concede to every whim that they have, you're going to end up discouraging them, because they will soon discover the inability of things and people to give them hope, happiness, confidence, and courage. Sometimes the only way that you can teach a child to actually be confident in God is to say, No! Don't give in, Dad. Don't give in, Mom. You can't give them everything they want. You can't take them everywhere they want to go. Some of you just run your children ragged because they got invited to 17 birthday parties last week. And you take them to all of them. At some point, you got to sit down with your kids and say, you can only pick two. What? Yes. Years ago, I've come to discover this. Sometimes the title of a book is better than what's in the book. Okay? And I saw a title of a book and I said, I'm not going to read it because I don't want to get discouraged. But it said, Kid CEO. And it was actually against it. But that's what a lot of you do. You let the kids decide what you're going to do in the home. I am, honey. (laughs) We have fun, Cheryl. Woo! It's true. You let the kids run the home. You can't do that. You set the agenda. You say yes. You say no. I love what... um, I love what is written in Psalm 4, verses 7 through 8. Listen to this. He says, You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I love that. Do you know what he just said there? He said, The gladness that you have put in my heart is better than than the gladness I have ever received in the increase of everything else in my life. The gladness that you have put in my heart, O God, is greater than the increase of wheat, is greater than the increase of wine, is greater than the increase of material things, 
is greater than the increase of relationships. The gladness that you put in my heart has caused me not only to lay down, but to sleep in peace and to dwell in safety. We want our kids to sleep well at night. We want them to have peace. We want them to have safety in their heart. And man can't give it to them. God can. Get God into their heart in Jesus' name. Don't discourage your children by telling them that joy and contentment can be found in anything other than God. God is the only source of true contentment and peace. You know, it's interesting is you'll, you'll read studies and, and the experts will say, you've got to raise your child's self-confidence. Do everything you can to build a child's self-confidence. The Bible says do everything you can to build their God confidence. We try to build up our kids and we're setting them up for failure because eventually they cannot cope with life on their own. We want our kids to be confident in the Lord. That doesn't mean that you beat your child up. You encourage them in their gifts. You encourage them in their talents. But you make sure that they understand these will fail you in the end. Only God can sustain you throughout your life in Jesus' mighty name. I love what Paul said in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant. And he wasn't making a statement about their intelligence it would basically be saying, um, I, I don't want you to be in the dark, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. I love that. He says, I don't want you to be in dark about the troubles that we've experienced since we came to Asia. We were burdened beyond measure, beyond our own strength. We despaired even for life. We thought we were going to die. But God allowed this so that we would not trust in ourselves but we would trust in the God who has delivered us, is delivering us, and will deliver us in the future. In Jesus' name. I love that. What, what he's saying is that God allowed Paul and his companions to go through these things to root out any remaining self-confidence in their life so that their confidence would be in the one who actually raises people from the dead. And folks, listen to me. None of us as parents like seeing our children go through difficult times. We don't like to see them brokenhearted. We don't like to see them with sorrow. We don't like to see them in a financial strait. We don't like to see them in a jam that they cannot get themselves out of. And, and I get that. And we want to jump in and help them all the time. And I've seen parents do that. Their kids struggle. They, they trip. They fall. And they jump right in there to make it easier. And I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. Because they're not going to trust God if mom and dad are the ones that are always there to bail them out. The only way sometimes you can get your kids to trust God is to back up and say, God, it hurts. But they've got to learn that only you can bring them through in Jesus' name. Come on, folks. I know we don't like that anymore. But that's the reality. We don't want our kids to go through these things. But we have to see them go through these things. Because we want them to know that in every storm, God is with them and he will not fail them. And he will not forsake them. And they have to learn that in Jesus' name. Now that brings us to the command. And the command is, do not provoke your children. He says, fathers, lest your children become discouraged, do not provoke the context of this, again, was verse 20. And remember, I told you to make a note there. Because in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents. Kids, listen to this one. In all things. In all things. When you don't agree with mom and dad, obey them. 
When you think it's reasonable, obey them. When you think it's unreasonable, obey them. Okay? That's good for you. God will take care of you. I don't believe that that means that you're to do something that is immoral or unbiblical or illegal. But when mom and dad speak, you obey them. You obey them. But Paul recognizes, man, that's a lot of authority to give anyone. And the ones that tend to abuse that power the most are dads. And that's why he comes in in verse number 20 and says, Fathers, do not use this authority that has just been given to you in verse 20 to provoke your children. What Paul is intimating here is that we as fathers must avoid anything. We must avoid any behavior, any discipline, any attitude, any way of speaking to our children that would in any way provoke them or stir them up or motivate them to be discouraged. And remember what being discouraged means as far as God is concerned. Losing confidence in God. What he's saying is, make sure that you are not raising your children and disciplining them in such a way that would cause them to lose their confidence in Almighty God. That would provoke them, motivate them to lose their faith in God. You know, sometimes that word provoked is used positively. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 2, we are encouraged to provoke one another in the body of Christ to give more generously. But here it is negative. We're not to provoke them in a negative way. As fathers, we are to avoid anything that would discourage our children, anything that would cause them to become self-confident and seek their hope, their happiness, their confidence, and their courage in the things of this world, which should raise a good question in any reasonable dad. And that would be, how do I provoke my children to discouragement? What are the subtle ways that I would actually raise my child to no longer rely upon the Lord? There's two that I'd like to give to you and then we'll be done. Number one, when we fail to be hopeful, happy, confident, and courageous in the Lord ourselves. Can I tell you, Dad, the greatest way that you can discourage your children and raise them in a way that they will not have any confidence in God is if you fail to find your hope, your happiness, your confidence, and your courage in the Lord. Who we are as dads is infinitely more important than what we teach our children. Your children are not going to follow your teaching as much as they're going to follow your testimony. Your kids will follow your example, not your exhortation. If you want your children to have hope in God, your hope had better be in God. If you want them to delight in God, then He better be the delight of your heart. If you want your children to be confident in the Lord, then let your confidence be in God. If you want your children to be courageous in Christ, then let your courage be in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I mean, think about it. Are our children really going to put their hope in the Lord when it is clear that our hope is in money? Are they going to find happiness in the Lord when they see clearly that your happiness is sitting home and watching the eagles? Are they really going to be confident in the Lord when they know that your confidence is in your 401k? Are they going to really find courage in the Lord when your courage is in trying to be tough? It is amazing how we as fathers think that our kids are going to do what we say and fail to recognize that they're going to do what they see us doing. I mean, look, if you want your children to pray and you want them to study the Word of God, then every once in a while they got to see you praying and studying the Word of God. 
If you want your kids to go to church on Sundays and give that day to the Lord, then they better see you in the house of God and not get up on Sundays and say, man, it's such a beautiful day. Let's go down to the beach. They don't, you know, if they see church being convenient to you, then it's going to be convenient to them. The worst thing is that they'll always take it further than you did. So if you go a little now, they're not going to go at all. We've got to recognize that our children still follow dad's example. So that's one way we discourage them. The second way is when we discipline them in an overbearing manner or way. You know, I think that one of the best pieces of advice my mom and dad gave me when I was a young parent was, Kurt, be consistent. You're the adult. You can't be moved by every situation. You've got to be consistent day in and day out. When you set boundaries, be consistent in disciplining them when they break the boundaries. You know, when they aggravate you, you've got to just grab a hold of your feelings and not do anything until that's passed and you're thinking reasonably rather than acting rationally. Be consistent. Let's be honest. Many times, dads, we are inconsistent. We are erratic. We're impulsive. We're unpredictable in how we discipline and we raise our children. Whether you realize it or not, your moodiness and your inconsistency is actually provoking your child to bitterness, to anxiety, to deceitfulness, to even resentfulness. Because when you are erratic as a father, when you're not consistent, children are left saying, what's the use? I can't win anyway. I can't please him. Why try to be good when I'm treated the same way as when I'm bad? And there are kids that feel that way. If I fail, I'm a failure. If I succeed, it wasn't good enough. So what is the use? Dads, we have got to be consistent. Steady, fair, just in our discipline. Not out of control. Because within that, there is safety for a child. There is peace. There is comfort. Because they know that dad is steering the course correctly. In Jesus' name. We lead and we discipline as God did. And that is with all long suffering and patience. How many of you are thankful that God is a long-suffering and patient father. <laughs> Amen. I mean, let, let's be honest. you got to lead the same way. Dad, you can't just bear down on your kids. You kill them. you got to know how to be long-suffering. They're kids. Some of us, we've forgotten that we were kids once. That we made the same moronic decisions that they make sometimes. And you've got to give them a little bit of that slack. Be merciful. Yes, there's a time to come down. But always come down with grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. I look back at my times when my kids were little. You know, my, we're always parents. We're always fathers. We're always mothers. But it changes. You know, my daughter is going to be 21 next month. I know. <laughs> My son will be 25. He's married. You know, I can't look at Amanda now and say, go to your room. You know, it's like, it's just, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's no big deal. I can't walk, I can't run over to Josh's, you know, apartment and say, hey, Linda, can I talk to Josh a minute and say, Josh, it's time for a tuning up. That's what we used to call spankings in my house. <laughs> tuning up. You know, I can't do that now. But I'll always be their dad. And what I'm thankful for is that they still come to me today for advice. They don't know how much that means to me. That they still consider what dad feels. But I'm going to tell you, as I look back, I know that there are many regrets I have where my actions were actually worse than my kids. And 
you would say, no. And they were because I was the adult and I knew better. It wasn't that what I did in, as far as the actions were worse. It's just that they were more damaging because I, I was the adult. I was the one that knew better. Sometimes, Dad, we, let's just be honest. I'm just being a dad now. We get weary because we think, what is it going to take to get through to them? We just get overwhelmed, and, and when we try one method and it doesn't work, we shift and do another method because we think that'll work, and, then we, and that's just that inconsistency. And it leads our children astray. The ends never justify the means. Just be a steady father. I want you to remember this and never, never forget it. I think it's one of the most overlooked parenting scriptures in the Bible because it doesn't say anything about parenting or maybe it does and we just didn't see it it's in Romans 2 and verse number 4 or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance God says that ultimately what brings the reasonable man to a place of repentance is the goodness of God in light of our evil and our wickedness. That it's not the heaviness of hell thrown in their face that actually brings them to repentance. It is actually the goodness of God that saves them in spite of the fact that they were his enemies that brings a reasonable man to a place of repentance. And nowhere is that better illustrated than in the story of the prodigal son. You remember that story? This, this defiant son looks at his father and says, Dad, you're as good as dead to me now. I left this house a long time ago. So why don't you just give me the half of the inheritance that I will get when you're dead and I'm out of here. Now most of us would have said, who do you think you are coming in and talking to me like that you get out of my house right now and don't come back until you show me some respect but not this dad because this dad says what good is that i've already lost him so i want the last act in this house to be an act of mercy because when his life hits the skids I want him to remember the goodness of a father in light of his evil. And sure enough, that son's life hit the skids. And the first thing he remembered was the goodness of his dad. And he came back home. Dad, be a good dad. And sometimes being a good dad means saying no. And sometimes being a good dad means that they're going to go through that season where they hate you. <laughs> But you just love him. And you take your broken heart to God and let him mend you. But you be faithful to your children. Because we need you in this hour. Don't be afraid to lead. Lead them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless the Lord. Yeah, give a little praise. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord.